Jeremiah Wonders is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Have you guys ever wondered how I keep my penis and testicles from sticking together like ants moonwalking in syrup as I run around LA? I bet you have. Well, what if I told you there exists a single product that can keep my Dick Van Dyke and Lucille Balls from colliding on the red carpet? Enter Sheath Underwear. Sheath Underwear has a special two-pouch compartment that keeps your Cheetos and Olive separate. It keeps you cool, dry, and comfortable on hot days. And in addition to Sheath's patented dick duffel, every pair of Sheath Underwear is an enticing blend of Modal and Spandex. What's Modal? Exactly. Truly incredible. I love Sheath Underwear. Feels like I'm having sex with my own underwear, and I like that. It also helps keep my penis and balls so separate and cool I feel like I have a vagina. <laughs> I can't believe no one thought of this before. Sheath was founded by Robert Patton, a U.S. Army soldier during his second tour in Iraq, which is probably why things are going great over there. Now you can support this awesome veteran-known small business and support the show. Win-win. Go to sheathunderwear.com and order with promo code SAX to get 20% off your first order. And Sheath Underwear's 100% money-back guarantee. That's sheathunderwear.com, promo code SAX. S-A-X. We have an awesome episode today with my buddy Ed Larson who has a brand new documentary on Vimeo that you can rent now called How America Killed My Mother. We'll get into that in a moment. People keep asking me, Jeremiah, when are you moving to Texas? I'm not moving to Texas, but I will be headlining the Addison Improv on October 22nd through 26th. Get your tickets now on my website, jeremiahwatkins.com. And while you're there, grab a new Saks hat or t-shirt. They're turned out fire. I'm freaking stoked. Look at this. Mm. Thank you to everyone liking, commenting on YouTube, reviewing on iTunes, or just making IG stories of you watching or listening to the show and enjoying it. I promise that all that stuff helps. Last thing, my buddy JJ has a great company that guarantees to help your credit problems. You have some dings on your record, he can help clear it up. Go to bridgecreditsolutions.com sacks and he will hook you up. It's super easy and I personally know him. He's going to help fix your messed up credit. Without further ado, let's get into this episode with my buddy, Ed Larson. We talked on a couple topics that uh, were somewhat serious, and I think that you guys will be interested to hear my thoughts and his opinions on that, and I think it's something that we will all be able to relate to, so I'm looking forward to hearing your comments on that. Thank you so much, guys, and without further ado, please welcome Ed Larson to Jeremiah Wonders. Go ahead. Wait, he goes right to that? <laughs> I'm going to get your family and eat your sister? <laughs> wow. Well, I didn't have had this power before. <laughs> I mean, dude, can I just say that voice with that body is a lot. <laughs> Who wants to go to Disneyland? Wait, no, what? No, I don't want to go to Disneyland. Teacup fucker. Yeah. A teacup what? Fucker. Yeah. Oh god. Teacups like fuck. Okay. Wow, this is getting real intense real quick. You know, you could have been a nice guy with a sultry voice, but you just went straight to demonic pedophile. I feel like I'm nice on the teacups, but it's not angry sex. I'm just fucking. Oh. Fucking's bad. What's wrong with you? No, I don't think it's bad. I mean, purist? Are you a Puritan? No. Mormon? No. Mormons love the fuck. Let's face it, we fuck all the time. We fuck multiple women and make them watch. I mean, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, it is true. You ever seen Big Love? No, is that oh that's that Mormon uh, reality show, right? It's not a reality show, it's an actual uh show on HBO that Tom Hanks produced. Oh, it's like a scripted. Yes, and Bill Paxton was a Mormon, he had all these wives, he was screwing them in front of each other. Wow, teacup diddler, you know a lot about big love. <laughs> oh man, what a great show that doesn't exist anymore. Mostly because Bill Paxton's dead. <sighs> Anyway, um, yes. it was nice talking with you. Absolutely. 
always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Um, by the way. Yeah, did you have a concern? No, I was just going to ask if you had any extra um, blood. No, I don't have any extra. Like, all right, ju- all right, I'll just ask it, just ask it, you know, because if you had it. Yeah, what were you going to do with it had I given you blood? I'm a collector. Of, of, yes. of different types of blood? Yeah, different types of blood, different people's blood, you know, like sometimes so, I'll just take sap from a tree if that's all that's I'm available. confused. Are you a demon? Are you a vampire? Like, it's hard to tell from my angle. I'm a party boy. Oh, you're just a party boy. A party boy. You just like drinking blood. Drinking blood. Well, I don't drink it necessarily as I rub it all over myself. Oh, you're just like uh, all about smearing and just like, do you ever get in a hot tub full of blood or like a, like a nice bath? Good idea. Do you want to help me facilitate this? Uh, I know I came up with the idea, I but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm the right person for the job. I don't think this is a job that I applied for. Well, it doesn't matter. You were hired, you work here, and you're not allowed to stop working here. Okay, how did I get in this office? <laughs> Welcome to my world, you fucker. Okay. <laughs> This was amazing. Yeah, this 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 thing is pretty fun. Oh, this is very white. Yeah. Oh, so I'm actually supposed to be sexy. We suddenly went over. The- but you went for demon vampire party boy, so that's okay. All right. Yeah. Because that's what I am. That's what you are. That's what I'm always going to be. Yes. For all of time. <laughs> so, um. <laughs> Uh, Ed is a, a good buddy of mine that I've known for years in a lot of different capacities. Um, one of them is uh, we've worked together on uh, multiple seasons of Roast Battle. Yeah. Um, you're, uh, you do a lot of writing for the roast in general. And uh, you are one of those guys who you're a get-it-done guy, in my opinion. You're, oh, thanks, man. That's very sweet of you. You're a get-it-done guy and a guy who is – I. I always feel like a, a positive and an, an idea man. You you like throw like how can we fix this situation? I've got a thousand ideas, and that, that's who I the kind of people who I like riffing and doing projects with. Who are like will throw a thousand things at you, and then you know one of them will stick, and then it's kismet and it's perfect. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, if basically, you just keep throwing ideas until someone starts laughing. <laughs> you know, and if, if no sure. one's laughing. It's it's probably not funny, right? A lot of people take the time to write stuff that's not funny, and they're just not laughing. They're like, oh, that's a good idea, and they keep writing and keep writing. It's just like, oh well, you know, we shouldn't be enjoying ourselves, yeah, because yeah, that's the whole reason we're you know not lawyers. I mean, it's very true. <laughs> yeah, I would not uh, want to uh, go in. Um, I don't even know what kind of offices lawyers go into. I was about to start describing a day in the life of a lawyer, and I know literally nothing about like them going in and looking at their next cases and stuff. Oh, it's usually them just stealing from people and prolonging things longer and longer so they can make more money. Oh, yes, okay. Yes, lawyer, yeah. So if you have a lot of free time, you could be a lawyer. Wow. Oh, that's a fun opinion right there. Oh, man. I yeah. was, uh, I was thinking, cause I was, we were thrown into like immediately had to like work with each other like intensively when, uh, it was the first year of, uh, roast battle in Montreal. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just, I just thought about it when you were, we were saying, we, we, I had to join the wave. Yep. Which was, very uncomfortable for me because, you know, I don't like doing other people's bits. Sure. You know, because I that's like 
the first rule of comedy. Sure, yeah, be ori- be original, be unique, yeah, have yeah. your own voice, all that. Yeah. But then you know, it was just like, well, I'm in this. Let's fucking do it. Well, yeah. So I had Jesus Trejo on this podcast a while ago, and we actually talked about that because Jesus and you mm-hmm. filled in for Jamar Neighbors and Willie Hunter when we went to Montreal to basically showcase the show. Yeah. So it was actually very cool of you and Jesus. Like it, it was a, a mutually beneficial uh, thing. I feel like for everybody is like uh, we kind of all got to showcase, uh, and Jamar and Willie couldn't do it, and you guys stepped in and and brilliantly performed it was so much fun i mean i love i've always had a lot of energy when i was in high school i used to host all the pep rallies did you really oh yeah 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 yeah. i can see that so i always had that like let's get the crowd well you've got like the booming voice too to really get things going oh yeah Yeah, you got to make sure that last guy in the last row can hear you very true Yeah, because a lot of times we would do like i was the theater i was in in high school we had the no microphones half the time and it was a huge ass theater yeah and so if i you can't talk loud enough no one's gonna know what the fuck's going on yep and so uh got it project yes hey (laughs) Ooh, it even came up on the devil mic oh yeah let's when we're we're not using this uh middle mic dave let's uh let's just bring down the audio on this middle mic otherwise it'll pick up some weird echoes and (laughs) rumblings and stuff like that But man, yeah, no, that was insane because that's how I've gotten a lot of my gigs in my life is you're just like there and you're like, okay, well, I promise to deliver, you know, and it is dude being reliable in this business is so huge. And that's why I I said you're like, you know, you're a get it done guy. Mm-hmm. Like you're thrown into this situation where you and I, we had known each other for a while before that, but we hadn't worked that closely yet. Like we had like basically worked together at all. Yeah. Just like maybe a couple ideas here or there, you know, like we, it was just, but it's also, it's like you're at Montreal, you know? And so this is like the height of, of show business and comedy, you know, Mm -hmm. and especially for us, like eight years ago now, I guess at this point, something like that, seven, eight years ago, it was a while ago at this point. Yeah. And so we were kind of, so nerve. I don't know about you, but it's just like nerves going out the wall, you know, because I've been trying to get to that festival. That was my first time there. Oh, that's awesome. And I was just there as a, a writer. Mm-hmm. I was just there to help Jeff come up with jokes and stuff like that. Sure. And so like just being thrown into on stage was it was actually just so much fun. It was so cool. And plus, Rose Battle has all the best you know, judges and you get to perform in front of all the cool. I people. mean, we got to perform in front of some of our comedy heroes. Yeah. And the fucking X-Men. Never. Oh, dude, I, <laughs> I forgot about that. I literally, you know, like not entirely, but you know what I mean? Like you have to be reminded sometimes like because you're so in the moment, like you're like, I got to for me, like I was like, we got to make this good. We got to make this funny. Yeah, we got to do all this stuff. And I'm like micromanaging, trying to make sure everything's like per- perfect around. And uh, yeah, the which members of the X-Men were there that night? Do you remember? Well, it was uh, Olivia Wilde was there with Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. And that was insane. And then I remember we were, we're doing our thing because we're sitting right in front of the judges and we're like running up and being fucking lunatics, doing like 9-11 mime comedy. And uh, I, I, it's the only way to really describe it. And, <laughs> and I remember there was a guy like right in front of us who was like laughing his ass off and high-fiving us every time he came back. He was like, you're hilarious. I'm like, this guy's great. I, he looks familiar. He must be a comic or something. 
come later. It's Michael Fassbender yep. sitting right in front of us. And then it was just like, and then he hung out with us all night long. And it was just like, he just wanted to be part of the wave. And it was like the coolest fucking thing. I remember he like brought a joint and he like, it's after the show, we're smoking with him. And he brought this like really, I was honestly my best celebrity joke of all time. Uh, we're sitting there and he's got this like little shitty, like pinner joint. And he's like going to trying to light it in the back hallway of this theater in Montreal. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? And then he's just like, cause like I got like the giant sack of weed in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then he's just like, I was like, what the fuck is this? And he's like, Oh, it's a joint mate. And I was like, I was like, fast bender, get it together. <laughs> I was like, where'd you get this? The set of 12 years of slave. <laughs> yeah. The fact that you were able to pop off one of those jokes with Michael Fassbender, like, Oh yeah, this is a special festival. Yeah. <laughs> it was great though, man. It was, um, it was very, uh, incredible and i remember i actually like because that went so well that they started doing the roast battles in new york well that was the thing is that was really the introduction to the industry of what that show even was so the stakes were so high that weekend because like i've been doing this every week with jamar and willie and we kind of had a rhythm down and as you know you've been in many improv groups and sketch groups yeah it's hard to find a rhythm sometimes with people, but luckily you, me and Jesus, we all worked really well together. And, uh, I remember one of the bits that did really well was, uh, we bought (laughs) these, uh, these Asian, um, there was like these rice field hats yes and the three of us and it was um it was a vietnam reenactment yes and uh coach t played machine gun noises <laughs> and it was pretty horrible when you just describe it but in the act of the show uh it, it made sense yes yeah i mean it was it was you know what are you gonna do you know it was it's i love going way too far and it's just like sometimes it's a little it's, well, that's just the, like the beauty of something like the wave was like the jokes would sometimes be kind of middle of the road like oh that's kind of mean and then the act out would be 10 times <laughs> more extreme than what they just said or the opposite it could be a silly joke and then we put something crazy like that right after it yeah no you got it the, yeah and the 9-11 thing i was talking about two people would be would be standing straight and then another person would be a plane and come by and knock them both over yeah it was a great time it was one of the hits one of the go-to's <laughs> but i remember so when they started the show in new york they asked me to do the wave mm-hmm. and i remember just being like i did it for a couple of weeks and i yeah like, like the I, the east coast version of the show yeah. basically while like uh our west coast show yeah, was, was going on roast masters Luke yeah. gomez was the host and i remember i assembled a wave which was like carlos delgado i remember i was like all right if i'm going to be in charge of a wave it's going to be people of all different races and women like i want it to be like just the most like obscure people and we did it for like Two or three months, and then it got to the point where none of us were having a good time anymore. And I was like, I'm like, I'm doing someone else's bit, and it really ate at me. And so I just quit, and I disbanded the uh, New York Wave because I didn't feel right about it. I never actually talked to you about this, but like I, I never, I, I felt like gross doing what you guys do. Oh, just knowing I didn't come up with it. It being like a, uh, yeah, like a version, even though you're doing unique bits to what, you know, that night was maybe, but yeah, just the idea of like the, 
how it was formed and stuff like that, how it came together. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense, I guess. My favorite one that I wrote, though, my favorite wave bit that we did in New York, I don't know if you ever saw any of them, was uh, Jordan Temple. He's an amazing comedian. Uh, I put a Hulk Hogan mask on him, and then he uh, and then he went out there and he ripped open his shirt, and it was right when the N-word controversy was out, and he ripped <laughs> open his shirt, and it was a big black chest, and he's like, oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's solid stuff right there. <laughs> that's solid stuff. Uh, dude, so uh, you actually have a documentary that is out right now that um, is up on Vimeo that I want people to check out because yes. uh, my wife, Maya, and I, we watched it and we loved it. And uh, we, we loved um, – just being able to support you in a longer form, something. Cause you know, we, we get to work on little things like, you know, the wave or like little things behind the scenes on like, uh, little things like, uh, you also help produce, uh, Jeff Ross's podcast, thick skin. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you've got a great podcast of your own, but, uh, I want you to tell, uh, the listeners and the viewers, uh, kind of about it's called how America killed my mother. Right. Yes. And so basically, being a comedian, as you may know, we're doing all right now, mm -hmm. but you know, for a while you struggle hard Yeah, and it's just like, there's no money and you just do everything you can. You know, I'm working at a cheesesteak restaurant at night, you know, trying to make money, you know, doing everything I can to keep doing comedy. During this time, I'm an only child and my parents are divorced and my mom is struggling and she's got type one diabetes for 30, for 35 years. And because I was the, um, I made her that way. I was the biggest baby born in Florida. And I was. Uh, <laughs> I love that. That's 100% a real thing. And in the documentary, which I urge you to go see after this, I'll put the link in the description. Um, there's documentation of this. Uh, and it's so gratifying that that is a real thing that uh, it is. So continue. Well, now I'm like fifth, you know, because of modern medicine and shit. You know, yeah, you know, you know, the, you know, kids get, get bigger and stuff and there's advances in technology. And I couldn't hold the number one spot forever. I know. I know. What are you going to do? And they're all I bet they're all no talent hacks, too. Oh, totally. <laughs> Calling babies hacks is the best. Yeah, there was a bunch of hacks, you know. Uh, so basically what happened was uh, it came down to it, like being a diabetic – and this is, you know, not as funny as your, your usual podcast. But, but um, that's okay. That's what I like about this podcast is it can range on, like, the silly, ridiculous to the real stuff because people relate to that stuff too. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, man. So being a diabetic in America, all right, it costs $16,000 a year to be a diabetic. Which, A, just, like, right off the bat, when you hear that, when I hear that, I'm like, how can that even be a real you know, a real number? Yeah. Because, dude, there's been a lot of years where I barely made close to that money at all. Yeah. Like, I, for the whole year. I know. It was, it's insane. My mom's making ten twenty an hour at a nursing home. She's not even supposed to be working there because she's so fragile as a mm -hmm. human being. She was a, she's a brittle diabetic. And so her, her blood sugar would drop on a whim. And then we couldn't afford the proper care that she needed. And it was a, it was a fucking mess. You can't, uh, insulin is the prices have gone up a thousand percent since 1996. And that's an unmanageable number. It's a, it's a it really, it, it really comes down to it. Some people, my mom was paying over a grand every month in her medical supplies. 
And this is for diabetes and for a disease that millions of people in America have, you know, you figure we'd have it more under control. We don't. And so like, and we get into situations where my mom was working at this nursing home and the nursing home, she was there because they had a good insurance plan. Mm -hmm. And then they changed the insurance plan and it worked for everyone else who worked there except for my mom. My mom's the only diabetic. And she had this machine that was a glucose monitor. So basically if you're a diabetic and your sugar drops, your sugar level drops, uh, to a certain point, you get brain damage and stuff like that, and then you got to eat a bunch of candy to bring it back up. Yeah. And then if it goes too high, and then you could you could stroke out, you know. So and then you got to take some insulin to bring it back down, you know. So it's like a roller coaster. My mom was a brittle diabetic, so it would fly up and down all the time, you know. And she would lose her mind, and every time it got too low, she would develop brain damage and stuff like that. So she got this monitor that she used to keep on her, and it didn't like give her insulin or anything, but it just told her where she was at. And if it almost like an alarm clock, kind of like, hey, this is monitoring where you're at. Like, be weary, like you're getting close, kind of thing. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so when it would it would beep, she would know to do whatever. And it came to the point where the new insurance company told my mom that she had to give them eight hundred bucks. Or they were going to take the machine back. And back then, 800 bucks might as well have been 10000 either one of us. Yeah. And yeah. so we didn't have it. And so we had to give the machine back. And she died in her sleep because the thing didn't go off. And it didn't, and it didn't wake her up. So bottom line, it was like money that killed her. And then now when I say America killed my mother, I'm not saying just the government. Because there's different people that, are, that they prey on the poor. You know, people prey on people who are less fortunate. That's how a lot of people in this country make their money, whether it's banks, casinos, uh, loan companies like check cashing stores, uh, insurance companies. You know, they prey on your weaknesses and they try and get you to spend more money than you have. And so if one thing happens and it all starts toppling down and you don't even know what the fuck's going on. And so my mom's developing brain damage during this process. And she also develops a gambling problem while she's while this is happening, because one time she went to a casino and won fifteen thousand dollars, saved us, moved to New York with it. You know, like it was my first two months rent. It was, she got she got a place in Jersey next to her family. It was amazing. So when that happens, it starts to become an answer. Yeah, you start thinking that that's a solution to your problems is, yeah. is that maybe you can win another huge sum of money. And the real thing is like it's not coming again. If casinos wanted you to win, they wouldn't exist. Right. You know, there's just like that's that, not what they're designed to do. <laughs> that's not. Why would you exist if they were giving out money? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So the, the all the odds are bet against you. And my mom just slowly kept going back and developed a serious gambling problem, which is very similar to alcoholism. You know, where it's a, it becomes a disease and it's something you can't treat and you could fall off the wagon and then it just becomes a disaster mm -hmm. and you get, you know, so every time it got to the point where every time I made money, I had to get her out of debt. So like all my roast bottle money, all my burn money that went straight to her fucking gambling problems. Yeah. And so I just stayed poor, even though I just started getting successful in comedy. Yeah. You're writing on TV shows. You're a part of great things oh out here God. going on then in LA. People think you're rich. Oh, so dude. <laughs> well, that's what's funny about like the comedy central thing is yeah. people are like, Oh, you must be loaded from roast battle. I'm like, I don't get any residuals from that. Nothing. And I got just the day rate of what those episodes were. So that 
money literally went to bills immediately. Mm-hmm. Were you SAG? Yeah, but they have this thing with Viacom where they are grandfathered beyond SAG. So they don't have to do residuals. They don't have to. It's very strange. Whoa. So, like, they air literally all those roast battle episodes in different countries, and we don't see residuals from that. Well, I'll tell you something. We went and fought for it writer-wise, and we got some money. So maybe you should look into it. (laughs) (laughs) No. <laughs> the WGA went and got us some money for those all those different airings. Oh my goodness. So, you know, go ahead and let the cat out of the box there. But yeah, so I mean, go good for out. me to know. Why not? Go check it out. You might just like seriously, if you just go back, it's just, there's websites that involve, especially if you live in New York City, people owe you money and you don't even fucking know it. And that's the craziest thing. And they're not going to pay you until you say, "Hey, you owe me money." Yeah, and of course. Like, hey, what? Hey, do you have that 20 bucks? <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess I do. Oh, yeah, here you go. Yeah, so there is there is a lot of stuff you could, I bet you can look for, and you'll just start randomly getting checks. That'd be cool. Yeah, no, so uh, go look into that. But, <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, um, well, that's what I found interesting about your documentary is you're basically, how I kind of looked at it is it feels almost like this mystery that you are trying to solve of mm-hmm. what led up to the the very sad realization that your mother passed away. You know what I mean? So you're kind of uncovering these dirty deeds that you end up going without giving too much away, but you, no. you go to the bank that lent your mom money. You go to the casino and you, and you yeah. interview different people kind of like, how is this even legal or possible the way that you guys are doing things? And it's very fascinating. And the bank actually didn't lend my mom money. I was actually going to confront them about all of the overdraft fees Right. Because overdraft fees to me are the most fucked up thing in America. Yeah. You're taking, I mean, these banks are making billions of dollars a year on overdraft fees. And oh, like, yeah. Anyone who overdrafts, you know, those are the poorest people in our country. You know, like, you know, this few, I mean, I'm sure you've been there. I've overdrafted. Yeah, I've you had know, to call over- and be like, yo, you got to take this off. Yeah. Because yeah. then, then it leads to other things, you know, because then you get your paycheck. You're like, well, I can't put it in the bank because it's negative $300 from all my overdraft fees. So I got to go to a check cashing store. And I go to the check cashing store and the check cashing store takes 8%, you know. And so and then you start losing that money. And then you just got this wad of cash. And you don't know what to do with it. I can go to the casino or I can like my landlord doesn't take cash. My mm-hmm. car payment doesn't take cash. And so if I want to pay them, I have to go to back to the check cashing store and buy a money order. And that's more money. And then you, so it's just like, it, it is so expensive to be poor in this country. It is insane, you know? And then gambling is for the poor. The lottery is one of the biggest scams this well, country that's the thing, has. Is, uh, you don't see many high rollers going into gas stations and getting scratch off tickets. Dude, it's it's insane. yeah, there's that's no not happening. a rich man never bought a lottery ticket. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have to. He's yeah. he's set. It's all for and he, you see those people and they're like buying a hundred tickets and they're scratching it off and they're giving it back and they're scratching it off and they're giving it back. And it's disgusting. And it's so scary. And you're just like, I've been stuck behind that guy at the register. And you're just like, I just want my soda. <laughs> Could you please stop wasting all of your money and right. giving it to these guys? And when it comes to other towns like Nevada, you know, everywhere is a casino. 
in Nevada. The, the grocery stores got slot machines. The airports got slot machines. The convenience stores got slot machines. Everywhere, the bar has got slot machines because if you That's have, part of the culture there. Yes, it is. And if you have less than 15 slot machines, then you're considered not a casino. So any fucking Joe can just have a slot. You can have a slot machine in your house. You know, like it, it's that it's that ridiculous out there. There's like Bitcoin fucking ATMs in Vegas because it's it's the only money that pimps take. It's a sin, they call it Sin City for a reason. You know, and it's it's and so I've uncovered all this shit in the movie, and I realized like. There are so many factors that come into it, and it's not just the government. I just I want to really because a lot of people they're like you go after Medicare and the price of insulin. It's like yes, huge part of it. It's part of it, yeah, yeah, and that's like what started the spiral. But the thing I'm more concerned with is all the private citizens who literally just make their money off of taking money from desperate people. One of the saddest things that that sometimes people do. Uh, which is a huge industry living in the, you know, cities like LA or New York is people prey on people's dreams. They're yes. predatory on people's oh dreams. My God. And it's... one, one time I came out here, uh, when I had first moved out here, I had been working morning radio in Kansas city. And I really thought that I'd be able to get another job. Uh, cause I'd worked in, uh, uh it was, uh, you know, the Kansas city market, it's not a huge market, but it's, a main metropolis city. So I was like, Oh, okay. I might be able to get some, some work. So I go, uh, to one of these, uh, cold auditions where you have to, they're saying you have to pay to, um, to audition, to read, to possibly, you know, like become a, a radio host, which is basically like what now is podcasting. Mm -hmm. They showed the facilities and stuff and it's this old equipment and they're like, you can have your own radio show, which they probably would have given you your radio show on some random point six yeah. radio station or whatever, but nobody's listening to it. And it's literally feeding into people's egos and dreams of being like, Hey, you can be a broadcaster. And I did, you know, I did a cold read and they're like, We'd like to offer you the next step. And they're like, this is the next step. We just need $150 for this. And Fuck that, you know what I mean? Nuts. That's like, there's sharks in the water. And I hit up my old uh, DJ boss and he goes, you should never, ever have to transfer money to get a job. Oh. He goes like for anything, he goes, look out for all these agents who want you to get certain headshots through certain companies and all that stuff. Oh like, yeah. You got to get your headshots updated every six months. They tell you, and yeah, it's like and 500, like 500. Pop. you know, you're just like, go fuck yourself. And then, oh my God. And then, you know, not to talk bad about the unions that I'm in, but it's a mafia. It's impossible. <laughs> you know, like it's a, <laughs> a, a red dot appears on your forehead. You're like, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry. I take that back about the unions that I'm in. My bad. <laughs> But, like, honestly, like, I'm sitting here. I'm a struggling actor. I get my first gig, and I'm not allowed to take the gig until I give them 1500 bucks. Right. Impossible. It's impossible. I got I got booked on one gig. So you, like, start paying a little bit here, a little bit there. And those payments are not small. They're, like, it's, like, 50, it's like 500 a pop every time. And I remember one time I got a gig on my buddy's TV show. My but I was lucky enough to just get a he threw me apart mm -hmm. and it was great. I crushed it. I loved it. Friends of the people forever. I love that show. And but I, I booked the gig and I do the show. And then two days later I get a call from SAG telling me that if I don't pay them, then they're gonna have to reshoot the scene I was in. 
That's pretty ballsy call right there. <laughs> like it's like, like and it's my friend's TV show, and so I'm like directly fucking with my friend now, and it's like it was a mess. So wow. I ended up losing money on the gig, and so like it's just you know it's everything comes and now like honestly now that I'm paid in and I'm paying my dues and and it's been a great help you know and it's been but it's that initial hump that I don't understand why it's so much from the people who have so little. It really, it always, this whole country is built around that. It's so hard to get to the next step and it's so expensive to get to the next step that it becomes impossible, mm-hmm. you know? And, it, and that's also how the industry stays so fucking white. And it's because they're only catering to people who have money to start. You know, if you don't have the money to start, then I'm sorry. You can't. You, can't. you would be shocked. I think most people would be shocked how many of the current uh, social media stars came from either super, super wealthy families mm-hmm. or connected people who are already in the industry. It's very it's that whole like, you know, the 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 Jenner and Kardashian effect where it's yeah. every it's very like it's all under this umbrella of family members like who are hooking each other up kind of thing. Which is also I don't have a problem with that as long as everyone else also has a fair shot. Right. You know, because it's not like if I ever had a kid, I wouldn't want to help them. You know, like you help your kids. That's what you do. You know, and so it's like I understand that. But at the same time, you ha- it can't make it impossible for other people to start and like and it's i i do i know that we're going through a lot of heavy shit in this country right now and i know a lot of it is just like people in the streets fucking and i and i support it but i think it people need to realize uh, a lot of these people who think that they're you know a exceptional and i'm talking to the poor poor white people uh you've been duped by the rich to think that you're special <laughs> you know like you know and that is that is something that classism is happening all over the place in this country everywhere you turn you're not a, you know you might think you're in a group and you are everywhere not you look everywhere <laughs> they don't do yeah man and so it, it's uh it's it's insane. And they take the most vulnerable moments of your life and they'll find a way to screw you and, you know, how to bleed you out a little more mm-hmm. and just get that little bit of more money. And, you know, and that's, let's face it, like we go back to overdraft fees and banks. That's the only way they're going to make money off of poor people. Yeah. They're not making money off of my $300 bank account. It's, you know, they're no. not, you know, they're not, the interest in isn't stock. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's, uh, let's face it. The only way they're going to make money off of me is if I fuck up. Mm-hmm. And so they want you to fuck up because that's when the money starts rolling in and they charge you $35 a time. And when it came to gambling and my mom's gambling problem, she would write bad checks because she knew that if she wrote a check and handed it to the lady, at the casino that they would give her money back and she'd be able to go to the, go to the table and have a chance to win and then go put that money in the bank real fast. And then that's not a bad check. That's a good check. You know? And that was like how, like how a gambler's mind thinks. Yeah. And the thing with those bad checks at Trump Taj Mahal, which is where my mom used to go was a check, like a normal check. Like you write a check to your landlord and it bounces. He can put it in three times or, or she can put it in three times and then it bounces three times and then it's not good anymore and you have to develop another check. But they came and every time it bounces, you get charged by the bank and you get charged by the people where it bounced from. Mm-hmm. So it's like 50 something dollars every time it happens. But 
Trump Taj Mahal, when they were still open, they figured out that you can submit a check three times electronically and then three times the paper check. So oh. they were they were submitting these checks six times each. And then my mom was so desperate, she was like four or five checks deep. And they the thing is, they don't want you to write a good check. Because they don't make any money yeah, off of that. That's their business model. That's, that's how they capitalize. Is, yeah. And so I go back to the window where my mom was paying these checks. And I like physically walk in the, the casino and I go to the window and I try to pay my mom's debt. And they're like, no, we don't take money here. We don't take money. You got, if you want to if, if you want to pay the debt, you got to you have to uh, wire it to Vegas. And this is in Atlantic City, mm -hmm. and so you're just like, "What? I got to wire it to Vegas, even though I'm right here and I want to give you the money that we owe you." And like, like, no, you. They gotta, don't want the debt to be solved. They, they want don't. it to accrue and build up interest and everything like that. Yeah, man, so. it's a it's a predatory system, and there's and there's a and there's just a couple of people getting real fat off it, and it's and I think it's messed up. And we've let it go on too long. We should not be preying on our most helpless. And it is, and I think that is the real problem with America right now. And, you know, it's capitalism, which is, you know, I'm down with capitalism. I want to make money. You know, I want to have a bunch of money. <laughs> I like money. Yeah, yeah, so like, I'm into it. I just don't want to steal it from anybody, yeah. especially someone who doesn't have it. And that's unfortunately where a lot of people make their money. And it's fucked up. You know, and then I, that's the point of the movie is and, I really, it, people me, can check it out on Vimeo, right? On Vimeo starting October 2nd, I'm doing a limited release. Uh, cause I didn't, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't found anywhere to take it yet and I'm still pitching it and stuff. But the thing is I'm kind of shooting myself in the foot here cause I don't think anyone's going to take it after I release it, but I really just wanted it to be available before the election and I'm just going to eat whatever. Cause I, I made the money with my mom's insurance money. And so I just – because I was like, I don't know how to deal with this. I have this like crazy anger problem. I'm not allowed to kill people. And the only thing I know how to do is make documentaries. And so I'm going to make a documentary. You know. <laughs> and so I took the money from the, the my mom's life insurance. By the way, if your parent dies, you don't owe – and they have like a big – and they're in crazy debt. You don't owe that debt. If there is no estate, my mom had no estate. There was no money in the bank account when she died. So you don't owe that money. If you get the life insurance from your family member that died, you don't have to take that life insurance money and solve those debts. No matter what the fuck they try and tell you, you do not owe them any money. So please remember that. It's like one of the things people try to trick you all the time. Oh, yeah. it would be good if you settled your mom's. Fuck you. You prayed on her. You know, it's like, it's like interesting. It's, you know, so you don't have to do that. That insurance money is non-taxable and it's yours. And so, so make a note of that guys. <laughs> like, I mean, it's one of those, you know, it's a, it's a sad thing to, to have to, to come to terms with later on when that happens uh, to you. But if you're going through that right now, like, yeah, listen to what Ed's saying. He's yeah. been through this. He literally made a documentary about this. So you know what else is a crazy thing that no one really talks about that you got to do when your parent dies, is the first thing you do is you have to throw a party, like an the, expensive one. An at expensive, that. Fucking a very party. expensive one. And I honestly, I, I had a really good um, the guy at the funeral home director was really cool, and uh, so I was we he was very nice. <laughs> he put me. out a cake. He was pretty cool. Yeah. Dude. He was, he was chill. <laughs> I mean, he had beer bong helmets. Like this dude was pretty chill. Yeah, was, uh, straight up, it was just me and him in the room, and I was like, "So we're gonna do this cheap." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I 
was like, I was like, no upsells today. Yeah, uh, we're just gonna get me out of here, and mm-hmm. we're just gonna do it like this. And then, I was, and then, oh my God, are you Catholic? Uh, no. All right, so Grew up Protestant. I was raised Catholic, mm-hmm. and my mom was very Catholic. I'm now because I was raised Catholic, I'm an atheist. But um, my mom is it was very religious, and she's you know so I knew because she died in her sleep, she didn't get her last rites. Right. And so I remember going, being like, okay, I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to make this happen for her. I'm going to find a priest who's just going to bless her body. And they wouldn't do it. The priest wouldn't bless her body. I remember I went to a church. My mom, I went to my mom's church and I was just like, so my mom passed away, you know, and she's over at a kid's funeral home. I was wondering if maybe I can get someone to go over there and bless her body. And the guy was just like, oh, I'm sorry, son, but we don't do that. And I remember just being like, no, no, no. So you just go over there and you, you you do the sign of the cross at her and, you know, I'll give you a donation, you know, and yeah. and it'll be fine. And then he's just like, oh, it, that's not allowed. And I just remember just being like, I'm fight you. Like, I, well, yeah. like, like, I don't believe you, you in God. You will. Bless my mom with it. You better bless my mom. I'm the most. That's dangerous. what I came for. Okay. Either you're blessing my mom or we're getting in the octagon together. That's like, I don't believe in God. I will punch you and not feel bad. I will feel better. You know, punch him, Ed. Punch him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to find you. And so I'm I got to this situation where I'm calling a million different places up and I'm like, I'm like drawing all these. You you started going down all the different religions. Yeah. (laughs) And And they're like, no, we do not do that. I was losing my mind. I couldn't believe I couldn't get someone. They'll fucking bless huh. a piece of toast if you ask them. You know, like, and it's just, it's just like, if I got a car. Be so like, what oh. was the main reason why? Because it, it, the sacrament's supposed to happen when you're alive. Oh. The sacrament's supposed to be it's your last rites. Are so like on your deathbed, on ideally? On your deathbed, a priest comes up to you and like holds your hand like the day you die. But that's a scene in a movie. That doesn't always happen I like that. It never fucking happens like that. I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was losing my mind. And finally my aunt, like a day and a half later, she's like... I found a guy. It was just like <laughs> Dude, uh, I think that guy is calling into the show right now. <laughs> yes, uh, I got some money. Would you mind uh, coming down over to uh, Ked's funeral home? And um, my, my my mother passed away. Did you say Ked's? Ked's, like um. Like the tennis show, Ked's. Yes, yes, you got it, you got it. Tom's River, New Jersey. Have you it's been there? Gonna take me a while to get down there. Oh, and I understand completely. Well, I'll have my aunt come pick you up, uh, and you can come down. Do you have a? You bring a Bible and you just bless her real quick, and I'll, and I'll throw you some cash. I sleep under a bridge. Do you believe in God? Yes. You got money coming to you, buddy. Oh, that's totally <laughs> It's also going to take me a while to be loaded into a car because I've got a big leg. Oh, that's fine. Do you have like a priest collar or anything like that? Should I have to? Should I pick that up for you as well? Uh, go to Party City. <laughs> You know, this is amazing, Father June. Thank you so much. Yes, after we're done, uh, you can call me Father July. (laughs) But that's really not far from the truth, uh, unfortunately. It was like some dude that my... 
and slapped a priest. He was like a 400 <laughs> pound Filipino you pour, guy. You pour water on the, on this thing. It's like build a priest, <laughs> and then it slowly starts like coming up and you know, like pop up. It's like you're blessed. <laughs> but yeah, the dude shows up. He's got this old ass Bible. He's like 400 pounds. His shirt's not tucked in. You know, and it's just like it's like where's the body? And you're like, dude, I'll all right. Let's let's do this. Yeah. Here's your 200 bucks, and we go down, and he's blessing. You know, he's blessing my mom. Is he's very, blessing. He's blessing. It's very. I remember. Oh God. And I go to the Keds guy. I'm like, hey, so my mom's covered up, right? I don't want to see her. Yeah. And then he's like, yes. And then I go down, and she's like, and she's not covered up. I was like, God damn it, dude. What the fuck? I'm like, she wasn't like like her tits weren't out or anything, but like she was like, you know, like it was her face. I was like, I, I asked yeah, you. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and I don't like, want to see it. Like later, he told me like it was like you know I did that on purpose. You know, you needed to see her. It was closure and all this shit. And so I was just like, oh God. And do then, you later on? Do you look back at that and you're thankful to that guy? Oh, he's he's a thousand percent correct. It was a thousand percent correct because I honestly, it made me realize that she was in fact gone and that that her body. It's, it's a crazy thing to say. Her body is now useless. You know, it's like it's like this vessel that doesn't do anything anymore. Yeah, I had a friend who passed away that uh, I never saw her face after she passed away, even at the funeral. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, it probably would have benefited me to see that at some point because I saw the um, I saw like the gurney. Yeah. Um, with, you know, the body underneath the sheet. But, dude, for a long time, I would see her in the streets and stuff. Dude, like you just the, expect you, them to pop up like it was some fucking sick joke. It's and a weird like, it's it a weird thing. It stays in your head like that. Yeah. And I had a friend who passed away uh, two years ago. And his funeral was actually a while after he had passed away. And so he they, they still showed his body, but... I mean, he didn't look the same. He didn't look anything and like so himself that, anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it was very, that was, that was yeah. very intense. But also with like, in a way you're just like, okay, this is over. That is him. That's not him, but yeah. that is him. And this is over. And okay, I get it. You mm-hmm. know, I can start dealing with this. And it's weird that you actually, it does help a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but so like anyway, the going back to the priest and uh, he, I paid him two hundred bucks and uh, he gave the longest blessing in history. <laughs> I just remember we we're down like, there. Is for my like, mom blessed yet, or like, what's what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> like, like what is? All right, get wrap, to the point. Wrap it up, bro. He's we're like, done. he's like, you're gonna get your full two hundred dollars out of this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want it. <laughs> But I'm real happy. Uh, I'm, I'm happy it went down because I know that's what she would have wanted. And, yeah. you know, you know, it's it's that that's how it should have been. And so it's so now I just really the point of the movie and the point of what I'm doing here and talking about this thing for fucking four years now is that it's just such a simple thing to me. You know, we just like if we would have had three thousand more dollars, she'd still be alive, which is. You it's know, such a sad like, thing to hear and and to say out loud. It's it's a very sad statement. You know what I yeah. mean? And so it's just like it's it's so easy to fix in my mind. You know, there's so many, there's so little things. So if I if to me if the movie can do anything, it's like just like a little thing. I would love for casinos to stop taking bad checks or stop taking checks in general. Mm-hmm. If you don't have money, you can't bet it. 
That'd be a great rule for Pretty casinos. simple. That would be very easy. It's like, thumbs up, let's do that. Uh, also, I would love if overdraft fees didn't exist anymore because it's so predatory. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had $50 McDonald's by accident. You know, just like it's not it's it's fucked up. Yeah, it's not worth it. And so it's just you can't do that to people. And it's once you do one and then you don't know it, you're five deep before they cut you off. And now you're climbing out of this hole and you can't get out of it. And it takes weeks. And then you start and then you start getting behind on your car payments and you start getting getting behind on your rent. And then you got to do something desperate. You know, and it's and it's so and that's what it comes down to. And I really just want just people to start caring about each other more, and just like letting a couple things slide from now and now. Where does the humanity come in in all these rules? You know, it's that's that's kind of like how I feel about it. I mean, it's very much how I feel about it. Forget kind of, <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah. And know what? And what I was thinking about the other uh, when I was coming in here that I, I did want to talk about. Which we we kind of touched on a little bit the first year of roast battle, mm-hmm. but the second year of roast battle, my mom died a week before roast battle in Montreal. The first time we're filming a TV show. Oh man! You're like my mom, like I was two days late getting up there because I was putting yeah. my mom in the ground, and so like it was it was the biggest gig of my life. And I get up there, I'm like lost a little bit, but like it's good to have something to do, and you know I'm trying my best to write jokes and stuff like that. And I don't know if you remember this, but like you know me, I'm not re- I'm not a stand up. I'll do it if someone asks me, but I'm not a stand up. You know, I'm a comedian, but I'm not a stand up. I do sketch, I do podcasts. You know, I'll do whatever you want, but you know, don't expect me to be great. And, and so I remember we're getting there, and it's the third show. Like I'm, I'm fucking, I'm like a cloud of a human being, you know, I'm just trying to do pep rally shit. I'm not part of the wave this time. And I'm just like getting the crowd geared up. I got a bullhorn and I'm just screaming and shit. And then we were doing, it's the first night goes by and we're doing warm up, and we have like, and it's a rowdy crowd. It's like a really, really rowdy crowd and they're drunk. It's late night and they're not listening to the warm up guy. So the second night they get a second warm up guy. And these are all like. Very great comedians. I don't want to say who they are, or whatever. And then the third night, uh, they're like, they're like, well, neither of those guys work. So, uh, Ed, you do it. And it's like, <laughs> I just feel like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and so they throw me out there to do warm up for, and I'm at Montreal Comedy Festival. I have zero material. I have less than zero material. And like my mother, like my mother just died. I'm like a fucking mess. And they're like, go do warm up. And I go out there to do warm up. And there's like Whoopi Goldberg in front of me. And like Louis C.K., back when it meant something, is over, is next, is over there to the left. And I'm just like, all right, let's do this. And it Crushed, luckily, and I was just like, and then I got to do it the rest of the time for that, uh, for that week. And I just remember just being like, man, I wish I could just like. Sometimes if you can just dig deep and take that weird ass energy you got in you, and you just let it loose on people, it can really fucking work. Sometimes it can be powerful. It can be really powerful. You channel it, yeah, man. You you channel it. You go out there and you just like, because the answer, there is no like. Just what we're talking about, you you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. You go out there and you do it and you fucking, you make them laugh because you have no fucking choice. Whether, whether, because if you fail, it's over and it's and you suck if you fail. And so you, they put you on stage and you can sink or swim. And I, I refuse to swing. I'm also very buoyant. But <laughs> Try to not let me. 
<laughs> yeah. And so uh, I just use – if you go through shit like this, man, and everyone out there, like I don't know, it, like a lot of people, like we're all going to have our parents die on us, you know, and so it's going to be a nightmare. And just remember that, you know, it's okay to be all fucked up is kind of uh, what I tell everybody is when it happens. You know, it's like you live in it because you're almost it's almost if you don't if you don't like live in the fucked upness of it, then you almost don't even realize that it's real. Yeah, I try to when things are actually sad that happen in my life, uh, I try to embrace that like and acknowledge it rather than. Because I've, you know, as comedians and stuff, we all bury stuff and, and just quickly move away from it. Yeah. That's never good for you. If you address that you're sad and embrace it, it's like, I can be sad for a little bit and mm-hmm. then pick myself back up and be stronger right after this, you know? Yeah. No, exactly. Deal with it and then move on. You have to. Otherwise, you're never going to deal with it. And you're going to be 30 years down the road and you're going to be crying and you have no idea fucking why. And it's okay, though. Also, like... To be honest, like I sometimes it still gets me. Sometimes I still get all fucked up and I cry a little bit. But it, it's if you don't, it, Beavis and Butthead taught me something, and that is I remember it, I taught it at a very young age, and I was and it always stuck with me. And it's just like they're talking about it's like how come they how come they play stuff that sucks? You know, because when they're watching music videos, yeah, and then and then Beavis and then Beavis is just like, well, they gotta play stuff that sucks. If they don't play stuff that sucks, how do we know what rocks? <laughs> and that always kind of just stuck with me yeah. because like you have to have these awful things happen to you in order to like properly enjoy when life is going well. And so just ride it out, feel it, and just like fucking be man, man. Beautifully said, dude. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna close out with a segment that I call Sax Talk. Ooh. Sax Talk. Sixteen years old. Uh, I'm a virgin, and I'm talking to Kelly on the phone late at night in my bedroom, and she had just broken up with a boyfriend, and she was very sad about it, and she told me that uh, she didn't want him to be the last person that she had sex with anymore. So I said, I'll do it. So she, it's like two in the morning. She straps on some rollerblades, shimmies on over to my house. I crack open the front window. She, she slides on in, and she's beautiful. She's a very attractive uh, young lady. Uh, both of us are, you know, same age, and uh, we're just like a. All about it. I was into it, and uh, I was very uh, felt very fortunate as a fat boy to have her uh, have her coming into my window. And then I was like, "Do you think maybe uh, put on some music, set the mood?" And she's like, "Yeah, go ahead, go put on some music." I was like, "All right, all right, all right." So I go over to my uh, CD player and I take out a little Iron Butterfly. And I put on Inagata DeVito. And I start shimmering over to her. And I I go over and I I sit down next to her and I start kissing her. And she just starts laughing at me. And I was like, well, what happened? She's like, this song sucks. (laughs) Uh, 
just like, oh, all, uh, all right. Uh, it's like, do you do you know how long this song is? And she's like, here, actually, put this on. And she takes a CD out of her purse, and it's the uh, Top Gun soundtrack. And so I uh, I put on the Top Gun soundtrack. And I get uh, through the first three tracks. Before I even figure out how to put a condom on. And uh, then we... uh, We we did it. It was very sweet and kind. And then uh, she told my mother that I knew my father was cheating on her. And we've never talked again. Fuck you, Kelly. Questions. Go right ahead. Go How? Ahead. Wait. So, sh- this girl told your mom mm-hmm. that she knew that your dad was cheating on your mom. That I knew that my dad was cheating on my mom. Oh, that you knew. That I knew. She told my mom because she worked. Uh, she was an apprentice at a pharmacy, and then my mom came into the pharmacy to like get some medicine, and uh, they struck up a conversation, and she randomly told that to my mom, just like. For no reason, we had a good, we had a, we had a good relationship. That's we, so like, weird. We, like we were never boyfriend and girlfriend. We just like had sex at one time. Dude, like, I mean, you can never trust a girl on roller skates, <laughs> roller blades, roller blades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. So that yeah that that happened. And then my mom's like, your friend told me that you knew that I that I was just like I was like ah oh. I was like who was it? And then she did, and I told her and like one other guy, one dude that I Mother, tell me immediately. <laughs> Me out. My anger's flaring up again. <laughs> so literally, my mom would have told me, "I'm like, was it John? Because I thought it was John." Because he was. <laughs> and your mom's like, "He knows too." Yeah, she, she was like, yeah, "My mom said yes," and so like I like came, was ready to fight that dude. I literally came down from Tallahassee to South Florida looking for a fight until like I saw my. Luckily, I saw my mom before I saw him. And I was like, do you have any idea what you almost did? (laughs) The rage was bubbling inside my body. I could not handle it anymore. It was all-consuming, all-powerful. It was flexing through my skin even at times. (laughs) That's actually correct. (laughs) You mentioned you have an anger problem. I used to, but not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. Now Now I'm chilled out. I found weed. I had football and then weed. There you go. Yeah, man. Speed weed. Great stuff. Speedweed, Betterbox Studios, <laughs> in it. It's happening. Uh, I want you guys to check out uh, How America Killed My Mother, uh, now available on Vimeo. It's in the link in the description below. Ed, thank yeah. you so much for, uh, you know, coming on the show today. And it's been awesome to uh, just kind of reminisce with you about some good memories and also uh, just to kind of hear you share your story with us because it's a it's an interesting one that I think that a lot of people will be able to relate to and uh, you know some of the stuff obviously 
is not easy or fun to talk about. So I appreciate you being vulnerable with uh, me and my audience and uh, uh, sharing today. Dude, you're the best. Thank you so much. You're always, always a great guy to me. Thank you. Love you, brother. Love you too.